This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Very excited to have you in for our 50th episode. It's hard to believe, but we're halfway to a century. A lot of exciting things to talk about. I'm here, obviously, you can see him this time, so, you know, uh, I don't really need to introduce him, but I got Drew Hosman. Drew, how you doing, pal? Doing great. I'm doing great. A lot of 1-1 ties and uh, going in the Open Cup. It's that time of year. It is indeed. Open Cup, we are quite excited for it. The 50th episode just kind of lines up perfectly. Omar Mubayed, how you doing, buddy? Is that a Minneapolis City jersey? Yes, it is. (laughs) That works out pretty well. That works out pretty fucking well. Drew has been talking about this Minneapolis jersey for weeks. He's very excited. Uh, We're really kind of conflicting in a message here because we've got the U.S. national team, Minneapolis, and, of course, I'm supporting Miami. But Well, here's the thing, right? So we've, we've got three different like European allegiances, and if you've listened to the show before, you already know this, right? So I'm not walking into the house that we're recording with a United jersey when the person who owns the house happens to be a Liverpool supporter. So imagine, right? I don't want him walking into my house with a fucking Liverpool jersey. So listen, I played it fair. So you might as well wear this jersey. No harm, no foul. We're not in the World Cup this year. Maybe we're in that NIT Tournament. Yes, the exciting so NIT, the NIT tournament with Italy and Chile and everybody else. But now you see no harm, no foul either. Huh? Minneapolis City, which we'll never play because we probably don't make the playoffs. But that's another, that's another Ooh, podcast. We'll, and, get, we'll N- get to that in a minute. NPSL, though, NPSL. Got to rep NPSL. Um, yeah, my, my only comment on Europe will be uh, three words, ale, ale, ale. Uh, Liverpool into the Champions League final. Very exciting for me. Uh, yeah, that's a big song that uh, ever, everyone... That sounds like it's, it's made with Calypso music. It, of course. Or Kalimbo music, well, I it, say. It, it makes as much sense as Ring of Fire did in 2005. <clears throat> all the songs we have for our European adventures, uh, you have no idea where they come from, and then all of a sudden, everyone oh, on Mercy's money, side is singing. It's so fucking annoying, because I'm a United fan, and I can't fucking stand it, but the song is so goddamn catchy. So this I managed most Yeah, Omar is clearly upset by the fact that Liverpool advanced the yeah, final. He's not, on edge. Listen, it's Liverpool and Real. It's literally it. It is probably the worst combination. Possible. This is the cyanide matchup. Yeah, this, this is, is bad. This is bad. I don't want to watch. I would go game. the other way and man you and. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, condolences and commiserations with uh, Drew for. Arsenal's elimination. Yeah, I didn't even think about wearing it over here. It just went straight into the trash can after I got home. Well, it's uh, I. If it's any consolation, I was rooting for you, and I guess that's even though Liverpool did advance yesterday. Usually, that's the kiss of death. So uh, I apologize if I had any role in it. But Ronaldo um, Hatcher. Shut up. Salah's going to score four. Yeah, probably. Uh, (laughs) That's the truth. So let let's move on to matters a little bit more local. Uh, and let's talk about the start of the NPSL season for Jacksonville. Uh, let's talk about the continuing of the NPSL season for Miami United and for Miami FC. And let's talk about the loneliest number, which is one. 
Miami FC now with a third consecutive 1-1 draw, earning one point from his first three matches. Um, it, it was an interesting game, I feel. It was different than the other games that we've seen out of Miami FC thus far this year. The Miami United matchups were a little bit more tense, I would say, a little bit more tight. Uh, this game had a little bit more flow to it, especially the last 30 minutes. And I think that last 30 minutes is something that Coach Dalglish is going to want to build on. Uh, Drew, what did you take away from that game? Well, I wasn't at the game, and unfortunately... The oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the stream was unavailable for uh, rewatching. Show so. prep, show prep. Yeah, show yeah. prep. So uh, I, I actually was kind of following along on Twitter, but uh, uh, from what I could take away from the Twitter feed is there was some... Uh, idiot. Interesting lineup choices. I'll let you guys elaborate on all this. I'll kind of lay the groundwork. <laughs> um, some 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 goal scored each way, but not much more out of it. And uh, outside of that, uh, it was unavailable for me speak. to watch. The coach speak is amazing. <laughs> well, we played really hard. The guys did very well. Both teams played hard, my Those, man. The both teams played hard. They, they, they played a full 90. It was uh, interesting. I'll go with yeah. questionable lineups. Uh, <laughs> somebody, somebody elaborate so, on that because I, I still haven't figured out what exactly happened. I Listen, I don't know what exactly happened. I covered the game, so it was a little ridiculous <laughs> to see. At one point, Vincenzo Ronaldo played right back. Ariel Martinez was a center back. I, I have no idea what was going on. What I will say, though, is that this is probably still yet not Magnifsi's best starting eleven. You had Dylan Maris suspended on a red card. You had Tyler Ruffin suspended on that red card. Uh, so you still didn't see, you know, their best 11. You don't have their best lineup out. Chris Turpak, uh, is that how you pronounce his last name, Turpak? I went with Turpak. Turpak? That was the one I went with, but you you, you could be right. Okay. Well, the, the, man with, the man with the headband. The man with the headband. So, <laughs> so El Bandero, no, or the man with the headband. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he played excellent, I thought. I thought he was a great fit. Polly was only a training maybe once or twice prior to the match, and he fit in very well. He had a lot of chemistry with Ariel Martinez throughout the match, which was surprising. Yes. Didn't expect that whatsoever, but, you know, um, it, it was a solid, solid game. It was a solid showing against a team that wasn't necessarily scared to play against Miami. Yeah, I would say... I didn't realize the the lineup uh, kerfuffle or controversy or whatever until, and there was a jarring moment that made me realize, wait a minute, something is very different from what I'm used to seeing. And that was a tackle made by Vincenzo Ranella on the edge of the box next to the goal. <laughs> it was, wait a minute, who's that? Why is he there? He's making tackles now? Did he run back, or is that just where he is? Like, it just, yeah, it just—it was such a slap in the face, like not in, a, in an offensive way. It was just like I was asleep, and then I was slapped awake. Somebody dumped some water on you. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it was like, what? Hold on, wait, where am I? Um, yeah, there was a lot of, there were a lot of. I, I don't want to get married to the idea of the positioning because obviously Ranella went forward and was in in the attack for for the game, but. There, there appears to be a, a decision on the, head, on the part of Coach Dalglish to not marry these guys to their positions, right. to encourage them to f- go with the flow of the game, which is a <clears throat> huge departure from yeah. what we're accustomed to seeing. Like oh, It yeah. can't be more of a departure than what we saw from, from uh, Alessandro Nesta, which was 4-4-2, lock it down, play your role, move the ball up the field. What's the thoughts on a back three to get an extra midfielder into the mix? I believe that was the question just asked. Unfortunately, couldn't see the user's name, so I apologize. I don't think Miami FC is capable of playing a back three. And essentially, if you're playing a back three, then you're hoping for two fullbacks uh, or two guys that can play a wingback position. 
And I don't know if Miami FC has that right now. Sean Chin's not a natural right back, even though he's filled in there, uh, especially in the last game when Miami FC won a man down. And you have Tyler Pollock on the left-hand side, but is he going to get as far forward as you want him to? Probably not. Maybe Coy Kraft kind of fits that bill. But let's leave theories towards the end of this as we try to recap this game. Um, 26-minute comes around, and Jacksonville is able to strike first on a ball that, if you go to our website and look at the recap, you'll see the video there. If you go on our YouTube, you'll see it as well. Clearly offside. Referee blew the decision completely. Uh, Vega makes a hell of a save, and it's actually noteworthy that... (laughs) Yeah, it's the MPSL, right? Um, It's super You wish you had pro refs. (laughs) You wish. You complain and complain, and look what you got now. Eat shit. No. Um, (laughs) um, What was I going to say? Sorry. So... I think this is the first time where Vega allows a goal. Actually, sorry. Vega has only allowed one goal this season. Granted, he's only allowed three. But he's only allowed one goal this season that has not come off some sort of rebound. First goal of the game, Miami United. He stuffs Privetera. And then um, our buddy, Pelé, gets the goal. And then in the third game, he stuffed a header. And then the rebound, clearly offsides. Jacksonville goes ahead and gets the goal uh, to take the lead in the 26th minute. But... You know, this is kind of what you get when you're playing Division Four soccer and you're under a different umbrella than the pro than the pro umbrella. Yeah, that has to be the consolation <clears throat> for Vega and for the team that they've been a little bit hard done. Although, in fairness, I'm sure Miami United would say, well, they were a little bit hard done because perhaps that goal that was scored in the first game shouldn't have counted because the game should have been called. But, you know, again, welcome to Fourth Division soccer. Um, I think that... Kind of addressing the, the question that came up earlier and kind of addressing what we've seen uh, from the team, the idea of going to a back three, if you do that, you're basically taking off one of your best players in either Mason Trafford or Rhett Bernstein in terms of, uh, of your most experienced and solid players in kind of that, that spine that we talk about, unless you're playing them, one of them out on the wing. Um, and to me, the Miami FC defense hasn't been the problem. No. I think the attack has been the problem. Well, it's been the lack and, of... And, Go ahead. And, and the, the, the inability to create in that final third, the, in, the inability to really create something inventive and different in the final third, except the last 30 minutes of that game against Jacksonville. It seemed like finally after uh, 180, 220 minutes of soccer that that switch maybe finally turned over. I would argue that... Probably Miami FC's biggest issue right now is not relying on the midfield enough. And granted, yes, the powers that be are no longer there. The Richie Ryans are gone. The Quadwell Pokus are gone. Mike LaHood obviously gone as well. Um, but you still have Dylan Mares, who was the key to unlocking a bunch of defenses last year. Granted, he didn't play in the last game. But you still have Ariel Martinez, who's more than capable and now going to get a, a, a chance to shine for a full 90 minutes. And you've got Jeff Michaud on the right mid. We haven't even started talking about Manny Gonzalez, and we know what he can do. He was probably the most underrated player on the South Florida Surf Squad last year that somehow didn't land on a USL team or an NESL team after the fact. So you've got guys who are dynamic and can play in the midfield and can open up the strikers. However, there seems to be this, I don't know if you want to say reluctancy, of just throwing the ball over the top and hoping to get... The, the wingers out deep, whether it's Terpak, whether it's Chavez down the middle, whether it's Sound Smart down the left-hand side. And granted, yes, a lot of guys are going to have trouble with their speed, absolutely. However, is that kind of what you want to do? Do you just want to keep throwing long balls over the top and hoping they stick? I don't know. Yeah, especially considering I think the skill that is available in that <coughs> midfield 
<laughs> okay, Jovo5858. That was pretty funny. Lionel Brown for all positions. Lionel Brown in goal. Lionel Brown at center back, fullback, <coughs> midfield, attack. Put him everywhere. Clearly, I mean, considering the, the amount equipment of time. Coach. Equipment coach. You know, sorry, Coach Doug Leaf, but get out of here. Let's put Lionel Brown as player manager. Polo with uh, an LB on it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it does not stand for pounds. <laughs> so, um,. But seriously, what, he was on the field for two minutes, one goal? I mean, uh, yeah. you want 45 goals in a game? I think you do. Um, but no, seriously, I think the the idea, Omar, that last 30, I think you finally saw the team looking to Ariel Martinez, looking up the field, looking at the midfielders and having them bring it up and work around the box, establish, poke, prod, try to stretch out the defense a little bit of Jacksonville. And it's why there were so many good opportunities in that final 30 minutes, yeah, at least to me. Absolutely. But I, I think you saw an overall – you had Miami FC pressing higher and trying to work the ball out through any angle possible. Especially in the last 30 minutes uh, after Ariel Martinez's goal, which came off essentially a deflection and a throw-in, <clears throat> when he was able to snake his way through the middle and get a shot on net and beat the keeper. But – you still started seeing long balls played out to the wings. And I think this is something that maybe... Again, I didn't watch many Ottawa Fury games. And I didn't watch a lot of Aztec-Aztec games. So I can't tell you if, if this is Paul Dalglish's signature as a beer. No, let me put that in my mouth. No, um, I don't know if this is a situation where this is just Dalglish's tactics. This is his, you know, standard of norm in a way. That this is what he likes to see out of his team, or if this is just where he thinks the advantage is. I happen to think that the advantage is going to be in the midfield. Um, you still have guys who can create and can be super dynamic. However, you know, yes, we should not expect, the fan base should not expect, beat writers should not expect the midfield to play like it did the last two years. It's, it's, it's not possible. You got a guy playing in the Russian Premier League. You got Richie Ryan, who's probably one of the best sixes in the USL. And you got Michael LaHood, who... You know, he's a workhorse, man. He's a workhorse. He's a 95-minute workhorse every game, extra time, stoppage time, whatever you need from him. So it's, that's not there anymore. Yeah. That's and, not, even, and even guys like Rosende. Right, guys like yeah. Rosende. You have even, guys, our, even our right. mid-bench got decimated. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. The, the whole team has been revamped. When you look at it, the defense has somewhat stayed intact with between Ruthven, uh, Ruthven, Bernstein, Trafford, and Vega in between the pipes and all the other goalkeepers behind Vega. And at the same time, you look at the midfield and who's the carryover? Ariel Martinez, Dylan Maris, Johnny Steele has yet to feature in the game in the MPSL. Um, I'm not even—I don't even remember how many caps he got in the MP, in the NASL last year. And up front, your striker core is the same. However, what are you going to do? You can't have Ranella playing 35 yards with his back to the goal. Can't have Chavez trying to make things out of nothing. So at the same time, you need some of these new guys, and they're capable. The thing is that they're capable. Though it is a disappointment so far, I think, in my opinion, that this team has only been able to muster one-one draws for three straight matches. Uh, so, uh, question coming in uh, that uh, actually we have two questions coming in from Jovo, who had the funny line of Ron coming earlier. In all seriousness, why does Dalish not play his best players at the same time? Uh, I'll, I'll start on that one because I think there's, I think the way this season has started. It's it's a bit of a challenge because of the way the schedule stacked up. Normally, especially considering the talent level in the NASL and the NASL, the NPSL, uh, and the way it's kind of separated, where you have this kind of top tier and this bottom tier, you would have normally expected the opportunity to kind of ease into it, and you can't. And as we've talked about before, and as we have banged on and criticized the club about, 
the preseason was for knocking off the rust. It wasn't for getting ready for the competition you were going to face. One of the things we said uh, coming into this season was, well, you've kept a lot of the players. You've lost some of the depth, but, but depth of, you've kept a lot of the names. You kind of need that depth. Even if the depth is a step lower from what you're used to, the, 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 the depth that's available now with some injuries that were picked up in preseason, with some other issues that players have had, getting their, their situations fully firmed up to play in America, it does present the, some challenges to Coach Dalglish. And I think, you know, he is new. He's, he's, he's still sorting out what he wants to do and how he wants to play it and the strategies that he wants to employ given, uh, you know, the opponents he's facing. The problem is you've already played three of your four games against the other teams that you're going to be comp- realistically competing for the title against in the conference. And you manage three points. Yeah, and, and you manage only three points. And so you, okay, great, you're going to beat Naples. Uh, you're going to be Palm Beach United. You're going to be Boca Raton, and maybe although they're they're probably the, the the top of that second tier, but maybe he, not. But I, bottom of the first tier, right? But <laughs> going back to that original question with regards to why haven't you played the best players? The truth of the matter is the best players haven't been available. That first game, yes. you only got a couple minutes out of Ranella and Chavez because they were injured. Right, they should not have even appeared in that not, match. But you needed to get points. Out right, of you're just trying to. In the second it. match, you yeah. noticed that Vincenzo Ranella didn't even get the squad. You knew he was nursing something. Ariel and the same thing. Listen. And Chavez, right? If we go back and we want to open up Pandora's box with regards to that second game and the red card, if Miami FC doesn't host that, doesn't get that red card and Ruthven isn't disciplined by that referee, who knows what the final score could have ended up. Right. Could have easily been 3-0 by halftime with the chances they were getting. But, right. But it, it is what it is. Yeah. And then, like, I, here's what we were saying earlier in the season, too, where it's like, Okay, so now we're equal games with United. United has, uh, what do they have, five, five, five points. points? And we have three. Uh, they, they beat, who is it, Naples? Naples. Yes. But then what happens if another scenario like that comes up? Like, we all assume Jacksonville is going to run house on Naples. Teams like that. And let's say Jacksonville and United tie a couple times. All it's going to take is one of those Naples games to be another, like, bad red card or just a fluke happening from... Right. from one of the three powerhouses, you know, not finishing top three. And they haven't put out the, the playoff seating this year. Playoff seating or the Open Cup qualification. But last year, the Sunshine Conference only got one Open Cup slot. So these three top tiers, it's it's really going to not come to playing each other. Like, I mean, it, maybe it will between Jacksonville and United. But if, if Miami FC really slip up against one of these lower teams, it could be done for them. Well, that's the thing that's so... Unfortunate about the schedule is that a lot of, and it sounds crazy because we're only a quarter of the way in, but a lot of Miami FC's realistic schedule for what they're trying to accomplish is already baked in. It's already done. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's a quarter of the way in already. We've had three matches. Right, yeah. <laughs> like it, it's a quarter of the way Short in. We've season. had three matches. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, it, and, yeah, this is the shortened season. So, for us, you know, we're kind of getting into the heyday of the season as we're going to talk about the Open Cup in a little bit, but... We look at this match, and you needed the three points from it. Yeah, you needed the three points from it, and because you would have controlled your, you would have controlled your fate. Right now, you don't control your fate because you need United and Jacksonville to draw. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the score lines are; you just need them to draw twice. If you draw the, if both teams draw twice, then you're good. You've controlled your own fate again. But until this point, right now, Miami FC doesn't control their own destiny unless you start seeing some upsets happen, where United drops a match against Boca or against Beaches or against one of the other clubs. Same thing goes for Jacksonville. 
That's the thing that's so nervy about it is, yes, you're expected to beat Naples. Yes, you're expected to beat Beaches. Yes, you're expected to handle these other teams. But now you have to. And now you're basically in a cup run where you have to win. You have to get those three points. The first game, I understand visiting first game under a new coach, managing a draw. They should have been able to play better, but I can take it. Right. Home wins, road draws. Right. The second match, you get an unfortunate red card. I understand that. The third match, you're playing against a four-man ASL opponent. I, I understand. In isolation, I understand it. But combined together, you're now in dangerous, dangerous territory. <laughs> you're in dangerous territory considering that the MPSL Sunshine Conference might only send two teams to the playoffs. Right. And realistically it's, speaking, they may People are saying three, but regardless of the playoffs, last year there was only one Open Cup slot. Here's and that's thing. more important than the MPSL but playoffs precisely. to all these former well, hang on a second. Yes. NASL teams. All right, if we're operating in a vacuum and we're saying that Miami FC will not return to the ranks of Division One, Two, II, or Three next season, fine. I get that. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, like, let, let, let's, you know, call a square a square here, right? Chances are Miami FC is back in some kind of Division 1, 2, or 3 that has an automatic bid anyway. Where Miami FC 2 would then get the secondary bid. I'm hard-pressed. Again, I don't want to open the rabbit hole. I'm not going to open up the rabbit hole, but I think if you're going to sit here and say that Rocco Camiso sent him a care package this morning. Have faith I think, in no, no. Rocco. But here's the thing. If you don't see Miami FC entering a league, for example, as the USL or Anissa starting up, I see Miami FC folding before having a second season in the MPSL, to be honest with you. I, I think there's still an extra year buffer period. I don't see Nisa happening every anytime soon. I honestly think that's a doomed project. <clears throat> yes. Or it's just going to go unsanctioned and kind of be a, a fun-for-all project. Um, especially with the USL uh, USL Division Three coming in, I think right. there's going to kind of be this one, two, and three uh, USSF pyramid coming in. Not not to jump down that conspiracy theory too much. Um, I, I'm going to get off the subject because uh, one of our fans just wants us to talk about Enzo, and I love talking about Enzo. So I'm going to say, did you guys? What a segue! What did, a pro! Yeah. Holy did you guys shit. see those new jerseys? They're the Miami FC Open Cup jerseys. Yes, we're the gonna... best looking jersey was on the best looking player, which was Vincenzo Ranella. <laughs> and in classic Vincenzo Ranella mode, he had his sleeves rolled, which I think is a class act move. He's roll it, uh, this. Roll it up, roll he's, it up. Yeah, he's redefining the way to wear a jersey. It's basically <laughs> like when baseball players. Uh, Started like retucking back in their socks. Yes, and the stirrups in baseball. It's it's going that way. So uh, I yeah, see. Look, our fans are happy. I see a bunch so of heart eyes in emojis. The, in the case that for one second, game ends one one. Jacksonville, Armada, Miami FC tie. On to the New Jersey that were released today. Three new kits. Vincenzo Ranella releasing or being the model for teal and orange home kit. Mason Trafford being the model for the navy and teal. Should we just say redesign 2.0 of the initial third kit? I would yeah. say so. Yeah. Yeah. I would say right? so. They found some in a box and they had to do something <laughs> with them. Is that what it was? No, they, they, put, then, a little, they put a little like, weird pinstriping on them. Right? Three goalkeeper kits? Oh, three. there's like six. Yeah. Whoa, there's like three. six. I mean, let's be honest. Are they just training kits? I was no, going to say. Are they no, training polos? I think what it is is that uh, Indio Vega is a real clothes horse. And he insists <laughs> I do not want one shirt. I need three, or I get nothing, and uh, I, I I think that's what really happened. This is that that was part of the conditions of keeping him from going to Guarani in <laughs> yes. Paraguay was that he got to design six <laughs> keeper shirts. I demand design credit. So somebody stole uh, one of my questions there at the bottom. Did they go on discount? If we, <laughs> somebody <laughs> stole that from me. 
I would assume so. If we're out in the first round, I think that should be a twenty five percent discount yeah. from the team. Heads right up, away. Heads up to the uh, heads up to the front office. But no, I I, I have to Achilles get on it. The 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 home shirt what is nice. Pasta the home shirt is the home shirt who is, is that? really nice. Son of a bitch. I'm going to be what's that? Oh, I see who it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Canes fan three two three four asking a hockey question. <laughs> Sir, this is not Magic City hockey. This is Magic City soccer. I don't care about anything related to ice, unless it's oh no, I don't. Unless it's like those orange balls that they play with when it snows in the Premier League. Uh, there's no, especially the here, high visibility ball. Yeah, the yes. high visibility ball. That's it. That's all I want to talk about. Um, so anyway, <laughs> Eric is also answering for you that it's weak. Your skill in the, the ice hockey league. skill lacks. Uh, I, I like this little feature we've added. We just yeah. have kind of there's a show within a show you can enjoy. I've yet to see anybody at Kendall Ice Arena, so until then, yes, until so. then you will find out for yourselves, sir. <laughs> Got two goals and three assists this season, <laughs> sir. Check the stats. Check the point streak. <laughs> so let's talk about Open Cup, which okay. is really the reason why you know the the jerseys offer us an opportunity to get into the Open Cup. I was going to say it's really the reason why we're here and making such a big deal about episode 50 because we're looking. It's really the reason why Miami FC 2 is here and releasing new jerseys. And there's this clearly is the focus. This Open Cup run is clearly the focus of this team this year. Uh, there is a play-in game on Sunday that is the kickoff of a Magic, a Magic City Soccer Week, Miami Soccer Week. Um, credit to Dade Brigade for taking that idea and running with it this year. Um, lots of games... <laughs> Lots of open cup games. <laughs> uh, lots to discuss. But so there's an APSL game at Tropical Park on Sunday at 3.30. Red Force versus FC Kendall. As they like to point out, the oldest soccer rivalry in Miami-Dade County ongoing, which is 100% accurate. Um, after that, we have our open cup matchup, our play-in game. Miami FC 2 entering the open cup, the lifeline from the open cup committee, they take to this game, gentlemen. I'm going to just throw it up and let's let's have at it. What do you expect to see? Well, here, to, to go back on your point earlier, how serious they're taking it. The the deadline for uh, submitting open cup rosters was yesterday at 5 p.m. Central Time. Then we signed uh, we signed two players since then right. because of yes. how bad or <laughs> how bad Miami FC two season had started. Yes, we literally signed uh, what's his name, the guy from Ann Arbor, Dario Suarez. Yeah, Dario Suarez uh, came from Ann Arbor FC in uh, the game. Did NPSL. we sign a second player? Uh, well, the other one was uh, the man with the headband, Chris Turpak. Yeah. All right, got it. Yeah, so I think both of those were trying to hit the deadline. Um, <laughs> Eric. Uh, if I were to be stuck on a desert island with any player, it would be Enzo, and because he's Enzo. Um, because he's both French and Italian. Yes, I would learn so many languages. <laughs> um, but that, that's how that's how serious they're taking it. They kind of did two desperation signings, and I think that's kind of what Miami FC saw at the end of season one, where it was, oh my god, we're bad, let's sign La Hood. Uh, right. So this is, yes. I think this is version 2.0 and kind of the, uh, the the Hialeah car wash version of it, but <laughs> we're, we're running with the same method. Let's infuse some money into the team and get this going, but um, I, I think this game is going to be interesting. F- FC Miami City, uh, kind of a questionable roster. We don't know how many players they retained from last year. Wink, 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 wink. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they beat. I think we mentioned it before. They beat Boca Raton in the preseason. They drew Miami, uh, Miami United one to one, and then they lost to another. Was it a PDL team or APSL team in another friendly? I think it was. I think it was a UPSL team. Yeah, it was a UPSL team. So, 
Um, kind of kind of shady track record, so nobody really knows to what to expect. Uh, I don't I don't think either side really know what's going on. Um, what I kind of thought was just a little bit too cocky was that Miami FC already started pre-selling tickets to the them playing the Red Force. Oh, where slow down. Uh, I, I'm I'm <laughs> going 100 miles per hour, but that's that's just my thing. There's so much to talk about. I, I so got I got about. that email today, and I was like, bro, that's so jinxy. That's so jinxy. Bro, I'll say this: um, playing game is Sunday, Tropical Park, missions free. Definitely no reason not to be there. Yes. Um, SC Miami City's roster, as Drew said, nobody knows what it is. It's a giant question mark. Nobody really knows at all who's going to be on that team. Um, you know, who's going to play on it. Historically, that team has been, I would say, upper tier youth players from Europe for the most part. Yeah. Guys that may have not signed on at a major club and are working through their respective academies have signed on for FC Miami City and have played in the PDL season there. Not pushovers at all. We're talking about 17 and 19 year old guys um, with a lot of technical skill with European backgrounds, you know. So they've been in and out of academies pretty much their entire lives. Yeah. There's not many so, local guys, but correct, at, right? But at the same time, I kind of look at it and say this: Was FC Miami City's? Let's say last year's version of FC Miami City. Would you compare that? How would you compare them to last year's version of South Florida Surf? Would you say they were better? Or would you say they were worse? The to me the key difference with South Florida Surf is there were so many. Uh, it's kind of an unfortunate way to describe it because it makes it sound negative. I don't mean it that way. There were a lot of hired guns. Uh, well, now, here's, here's the thing, right? If you consider what's Miami FC, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, it's not even that. If you consider the fact that Miami City has not put out a roster, you got to assume there's going to be a couple ringers on that squad, right? And, which is, and if the Miami FC of last year was able to best the South Florida Surf, and this Miami City team. Maybe not be better than that team, that old South Florida Surf team. And you gotta assume the the arithmetic would say that Miami FC should get past this game. Yes. And if Miami FC gets past this game, listen, no no disregard to our friends at FC Red Force, but they should get past that game too, you, just on paper. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Granted, now we're saying all this crap, and this game's <laughs> gonna end up six zero on Sunday. And Miami FC two is gonna fold at the end of the NPL season. Like, I, I mean, that's very arguably that can happen as well. However, going into this match, you've got to assume that this is going to be a team that's going to pub, that's going to punch above its weight class. You cannot cannot sit there and get surprised. This is not the Wilmington Hammerheads of two years ago. This is the season. I don't think anybody in the organization looks at the MPSL and is taking it. Granted, they're taking it seriously, but this is not. That's not the season. Yeah. The Open Cup is the season, and that's the way they're looking at it. And I think the players need to understand what's to come, especially with this unknown Miami City roster. You took the phrase right out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Punching above their weight. I think FC Miami City are a team that takes big old hacks when they play that kind of level of opposition. When they're playing outside of their, their league, um, they take big swings. And they're capable of knocking you out. And they're capable of throwing themselves on the floor. It's it's a whole range. I don't think... I think the surf of last year were more... Well, literally and figuratively professional. Right. They were going to give you a good game. You knew what was coming, but because you had talent level here and they had talent level here, you should be expected to win. Because of the youth, because of the presumed fitness of FC Miami City, along with the idea that they may be able to bring in a couple of, of again, ringers, um, I really think they could put... I think they're more likely... And again, we've we've... We know Red Force. We one of the first things we did for our website was cover their game last year against the Surf. 
They're great people there. But I think if you were to get them on, on Truth Serum, they would expect to be clear underdogs to Miami FC, too. I don't know if FC Miami City feels like they're going to be clear underdogs. I don't think they do. Either. I think they're going to come into that game with a firm belief that they've had an Open Cup spot taken from them because of circumstance. Yep, that yeah. they've been put in this position because of a draw. I agree. That they have everything to play for, too. Now, going to the other thing you talked about, what is the commitment level of Miami FC, too? And what's interesting about that, you referenced Wilmington, you referenced last year, and you're talking about this year now. Man has the pendulum swung. Because that game against Wilmington two years ago was a joke. Miserable. It was treated as a joke, and we were told by front office and ownership that the focus was going to be on Open Cup because that was the path to the CONCACAF Champions League. That was the way they saw advancement. And then we saw what happened. It was a punchline. And it it really helped Miami FC develop that reputation of a punchline in the the spring season. That, the the big, confident talking, and then the pie in the face. Last year, you saw a change. And they clearly did take it on equal footing with the league. And you saw what the results were. Quarterfinal appearance, knocking off two MLS teams, unqualified success. Now, again, it swung the whole other way. If there's anyone in that front office that's thinking... Well, yeah, but we better save some legs for the NPSL. See, you know, we got, we better hold back a little bit. No, because if, if you drop out of the Open Cup at this level or really at any of the next two levels, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. It's a big, it's a big problem. Yeah. It's a big problem. And so, while I think FC Miami City can can punch up and and provide a challenge, I think that Miami FC two are going to be ready uh, for the challenge that they're going to face. Yeah, the, what I was thinking with uh, FC Miami City, like against when they played United, it was a very physical game. Like yes. we can expect a very United s game where it's it's not going to be a friendly. Like no. the, each team is going to you know go into it very hard. Um, as far as the kind of international or the ringers thing, my only issue with FC Miami City is that they do have a lot of international players, and I know it's hard to clear for Open Cup. So yeah, I don't. We don't know if some of those guys that they may be bringing in, maybe for the PDL season, or it, whether or not they can get into the cup or not. Because there seems to always be some sort of uh, clearance issues. And uh, I mean, even going into this season for NPSL, Miami FC had issues uh, clearing players to to play with uh, international slots. So. I mean, we'll see. It's a couple days away. We'll, we'll see you down at uh, Tropical Park. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting that you're bringing it up because FC Miami City's roster is, I would probably argue, 90% plus international. Very, very rarely do they have a local product. Granted, in this case... Kevin Coffey. That was going to doors right out of my mouth. A PDL player to watch. Cracked the top 50 lift. Kevin Coffey, the defenseman. Um, yeah, he, you know... But he, here's the thing. Born in France. Right? Yeah. Going to score Broward College, is he on a student visa, is he not? I mean, we can do a whole politics episode on this, but let's choose not to. Um, yeah, it, it can go either way. But here's the thing. You've got to think that they've got that sorted out by now. And like you said, Matt, they've got to be pissed. Because that game could have been Miami FC, Miami United. Yes. Could have been the MPSL slot. Oof. And that would have been ridiculous. You know, now you have FC Miami City who earned the roster slot with hard work through the PDL. Uh, last season, and it's been taken away. And if I'm Miami City, I'm furious. Yeah, it, it's going to be a really interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. The obviously, it's a day derby. It's this kind of play-in controversy that's come to exist. That 
that affected FC Miami of City. <clears throat> FC Miami City. What? Negatively? FC Miami, Just say city. Just go with City. Just go yeah, with City. That's our new t-shirt. <laughs> FC Miami FC. <laughs> um, it's the FC Miami FC. Thank you very much. Um, there, There's so much at play before you actually start talking about who the players are going to be, what the strategy is going to be. There's a lot of like off-the-field drama, which has been the calling card of the Miami FC and the Miami FC 2 the last few years, which is there's as much drama off the field as there is on the field dealing with the the federation and the league. Speaking of that, um, we kind of tied up our Open Cup knots here, covered everything, because I, I do want to talk about the the proposal that was made to the federation. Well, here's the oh, thing. Yeah. Let's also, I, before I think we... we should cut to a quick word from our sponsor. Oh, yes, that's right. Let's do that. Okay, hold on. Omar, how about you tie up your end on Open Cup, and then we'll do that. Oh, we have sponsors. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So keep in mind, this is the playing game. Next Wednesday, we're probably not going to be able to dish out a podcast before then. So if Miami FC were to win, they would play Red Force, and that game will be played at FIU Soccer Stadium. Yes. Hosted by Miami FC. If FC Miami City were to win, the game will be played at Tropical Park versus Red Force as well. Miami United will take on FC Kendall at uh, Ted Hendrick Stadium at Mylander Park. Yes. So that game will be played in Hialeah next Wednesday as well. Yes. The two winners of the round one games will play each other in a round two match. I don't know if the host has been decided as of yet. I think maybe Miami FC got the nod on that. I think they did. I'm not 100% sure. No word yet on round three, but you would assume it would come out right after round two is over. Yes. I I think whoever hosts it's going to depend on attendance. If Miami FC keeps advancing, I think they're going to look at their uh, their numbers at uh, FIU Soccer Field. Because it's not like it's at Ricardo. So yeah, I, think, I think that might come down to attendance where they might be like, you know what? like. Well, here's the thing, though. I don't think... I think it... It's based on a coin flip, which has got to be the weirdest thing in all sports. But you can reject it, too. You can reject True. it, but do you see Miami FC rejecting it? I don't. I don't think they do. I, th- I think it's... Yeah, I think that if it's they're, if they're playing a local team, they're just going to want to have the comfort of being able to be at home. And if they're playing... If they advance to get to play, you know, Tampa Bay or, or one of those other um, teams, they're going to want that home field advantage because, like we've been talking about... This open cup run is so important. They're not going to want to do it on the cheap. Yeah. They're, 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 I, I just wanted Cobb, and then I wanted Hen- Ted Hendricks because I like those stadiums more. So <laughs> FAU Soccer Stadium is a if if you've not been to FAU Soccer Stadium, I actually went to my first ever open cup game. I went to live it was I think in 2013. It was the Ocala Stampede versus Red Force, uh, and it was at that stadium. And it's it's a touch bigger than Cobb Stadium and a touch smaller than Ted Hendricks. It's a pretty nice venue. Again, it's it's equivalent, I would say, to like a, like a high school field. It is. Um, but it, it's it's a pretty nice spot for a game like that. And then as you pr- pr- uh, proceed further into the tournament, hopefully, maybe, you know, if you get an MLS team down here again, hopefully getting ahead of myself, you, yeah. you wind up going back into Ricardo Silva. Um, I do want to say, Afro Andy, who's with us, when are we going to get a Flanagan-sponsored kit? Uh, there are a lot of people. Ooh, what's Ooh. up, Andy? Andy. <laughs> Andy's my man, a.k.a. Press Pass. You know Andy. <laughs> There are uh, there were a lot of people who really liked the fact that there were no sponsorship on the kit this year. Um, I like it too because I think it's a clean look. However, Flanagan's, I would have to reconsider. I would take if you were to put just Big Daddy right here. That's it. Are you kidding me? You know how many of those? Listen up, Flanagan's. Get on it. Let's go. We need the green though. We need the green. Yes. If if okay we're we're going to workshop this okay we're going to workshop this and we're going to come back with some mar- some markups 
There are lots of people on Twitter who love to put, make up fake jerseys of teams that aren't actually playing. We're going to come up with one that actually would play. Um, so let's talk about our sponsor. Hey, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond. Us at Magic City Soccer want to welcome our newest podcast sponsor, Groundhopper. Whether you're a passionate soccer supporter or just enjoy watching the game, check out the Groundhopper app, the handiest tool for soccer fans. Check in at the game and earn badges for all kinds of achievements. Compete with your friends and see who's the biggest fan of your team. Find all the fixtures taking place where you are, whether it's Madrid or Miami. This way you can turn any trip into a soccer trip. Groundhopper is available now on Google Play and the Apple iTunes Store. Now, back to the podcast. Um, okay, so let's jump back in now. And it, it would not be an episode of Magic City Soccer without talking about the politics of soccer and talking about whatever offer for whatever X number of hundreds of millions of dollars is being made by some billionaire to try to change the way soccer is structured. The latest offer comes from uh, the owner of the New York Cosmos, uh, Rocco Comisio. Yeah. Um, nailed it. Rocco. Um, who offered the United States Soccer Federation $250 million. I believe it was a $250 million deal in infusion into the pyramid and I don't believe it was for media rights. I think media rights was going towards the lower level, lower division soccer, helping them acquire media rights to sustain themselves. So I don't know necessarily. What it okay. did ask for was that some would absolutely remove itself from MLS. And that was the big from, thing that I... But they were basically yeah. pulling some out of the equation. Some is out of the equation. They would now operate as a separate entity from MLS and from USSF, which they are separate entities. However, they are very uh, conjoined. They're in, separate entities. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this deal is on the table. And, and the deal that, that's different from what we've talked about before, which is the Ricardo Silva deal that was kind of rumored, never really formally discussed, I believe, was the idea that basically there would be X number of hundreds of millions of dollars for ProRel, for a specific target of ProRel in America. This deal appears to be uh, Comisio saying, I want to handle the media issues. I want to handle my league. Give me a decade. Right. Get off my back. Stop changing the rules here and there. And Oh, well, no, you're not Division 1, you're Division 2. You're not Division 2, you're out. Give me a decade to actually structure it properly so that it can work. Because the argument, which I don't think is a wrong one, they really haven't had a chance to make it work under the current leadership of the now defunct, but not really defunct, because they didn't close it up in ASL. Yeah, it's it's an interesting argument to make because I think for a long time you'll have people on both sides saying the NASL had enough time to make its to make its moves and to, to solidify its basis. And that, and then you have people on the argue, on the other side saying, "Well, they never really did because they were always playing second fiddle to somebody else." Uh, so I, I think you kind of have this weird issue where, at the end of the day, the the biggest problem that you have is the messenger, because the messenger here is tainted for a certain group of fan bases, uh, and people may love them, others may hate them. So you kind of have this weird situation where. People are looking at the message and saying, oh, since Commissal's saying it, it doesn't hold water. However, it kind of does. Yeah. The biggest issue here is, you know, if you look back at Ricardo Silva's, what was it, $4 billion? I think it was five, four or five, yeah. Four yeah. or five billion dollar deal with the inclusion of, or the implementation of ProRail immediately after that deal is made. And now you also look at deal where it's $250 million. This is what this argument does. The more that this is spread amongst... Uh, 
different soccer platforms, whether it's podcasts, whether it's websites, whether it's SiriusXM Radio, or whether it's just your ESPN, your Fox Sports, etc. All of a sudden, now you're holding U.S. soccer to a higher regard and saying, somebody's going to give you $250 million to do something with it. How are you turning that down? Yeah. And that's really where the needle's going to get moved here. Whether or not they accept the resolution or they don't is one whole different thing. And we can go into the intricacies of what's going on between USSF and, um, you know, Rocco Camizzo. But at the same time, I think the, the most important thing is where will this conversation go? Because the $4 billion uh, Ricardo Silva deal got shut down immediately because of the pro-raw argument. Yes. It never held water. It never gained traction amongst any of the airwaves. But now that pro row is not a discussion, all of a sudden now it's going to force the USSF to answer questions about, well, if you're willing to turn down $250 million from Rocco Comiso over a 10-year mark, how much are you actually making? Yeah, well, I think it, uh, then the whole the whole kind of catch was it was... Wasn't it five hundred million, and he would front he up two hundred fifty? Correct. But but here's my other thing. One of one of his stipulations, which is kind of straight out the Ricardo Silva playbook, was that they would give the NASL resanctioning yes. under question mark league, whether it be division two or three. So it was basically, I'm going to throw all this money at you, the league that I own a ton of shares in, which in the long run is going to put money back into my pocket. You need to re-give sanctioning. And especially now he has the market cornered where him, Silva, Palmer. I think are the two. I don't think Palmer owns that much of NASL okay. at this point. But, you know, there was a big catch to it. And I I like the idea, but to me it just seems like another, like, kind of hacky, hey, let me throw this out there and, like, make a big media stink out of it and then see what happens at the end of the day. Because, uh, what was it, the the last Copa America, the USSF had like a surplus of how much money from hosting the tournament here? Wasn't it like $100 million or something? Something stupid like that. And the USSF was just like, I don't know what to do with this money. And at the time, like, no fans cared because all their leagues were in okay standing. There wasn't any like big push to be like, we need to invest in it. Yeah, and now it's like, okay, well, you're double that price. And now all of a sudden, like, this is like... The most tempting deal ever where, yeah, literally maybe, what was it, three years ago, two years ago, last mm-hmm. couple of America? Yeah, 2016. You had a surplus of money and they were just like, uh, we're going to upgrade a couple uh, U.S. men's national team training facilities and uh, like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> not to not to now move the argument away of, of what the intentional discussion, or I'm sorry, what the initial discussion was, but you have $100 million in excess after Copa America Centenario or whatever the figure was, yeah. close to $100 million. How did that money not trickle down into the second and third divisions to not only have better facilities, but also pay 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 the players a better wage, get them the insurance coverage that Sock takes has exposed that doesn't exist, yeah. and all of these other things? So if you have $100 million sitting around and you're looking at guys leaving or retiring, in the case of Hunter Freeman, who's now out of retirement, because he would be taking a massive pay cut to go to the USL as compared to the NASL, why don't these guys get paid a wage that's standard of a second division soccer player? Because you got to remember, yes, in the United States we have this aspect of if it's not top flight, if it's not major league, it's minor league, right? Yeah. But that's not the case in soccer. The, the world doesn't work that way. Right. Division two is still professional soccer. Division three in most countries is still professional soccer. Once you get to division four or five, maybe you start muddying the waters just a little bit. But in most cases, it's still professional soccer. Yeah. That's How- ultimately. I'm, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I think that that's the the root of all of this. 
is the 20-year struggle that the U.S. Soccer Federation, when dealing with its clubs, the struggle of, are we running an American league or are we running a world league? And there are a hundred different examples of the conflict appearing here and there. But the, the fact that the NASL, as a league itself, refused to treat itself like a minor league, sometimes to its detriment, sometimes yeah. to its detriment, but the fact that it refused to treat itself like a minor league was the greatest amount of pressure that the U.S. Soccer Federation had to stop treating its club system as a minor league outside of MLS. And there's no evidence that Don Garber or anyone associated with American soccer wants to change anything outside of that status quo. So it could be a $500 million, it could be a billion dollars. It appears that, I, I mean, everyone has a price apparently, but I think whatever the price is going to be, it, it, it may be even too rich for Sylvan Comissio. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's Definitely possible. When you start looking at the expansion fees of MLS and new owners coming in paying $150 million, $200 million, Lord knows what it's going to get to. You know, eventually once you start seeing old owners or people who've had their franchise for, you know, numerous amounts of years now probably raking in closer toward a billion dollars in 10, 15 years' time, it's going to be hard to implement it. But the truth of the matter is if you want to keep MLS in, in a state of isolation, you got to let the pyramid grow outside of it. Because eventually, you're going to see FIFA come in and, you know, either A, want a piece of the pie, or B, force the standards that are in their rule book and in their handbook of play. So, you know, I'm not a pro Roselle. I could do with or without it. I would love to see it implemented, but at the same time, listen, I'm the first one that understands. If I'm putting $200 million into a team for the top flight and somehow I get relegated and now my team is worth $5 million, I don't want any part of that. Yeah. But at the same time, then, what? where do we go? Do we have, then, two sides of a coin in American soccer where you have supporters of one league because their owner happens to be rich enough to be able to play in that game? And then you have owners and you have supporters in another league who, who their owners can't afford it, and yet now they're playing on two different set of standards, yet it's the same game. So, I mean, it's a lot to say. I mean, it's a fair comparison when you look at, uh, is it Detroit City? You look at Detroit City, who started from the ground levels, and they're raking in eight to 10,000 people at their games NPSL. in the NPSL. You have teams like Chattanooga that, you know, the funding's not there. $150 million doesn't grow on trees. Yeah. Look at the owners who are involved with the MLS. They're guys who own other professional sports ventures and have, you know, for lack of better words, are old money. It's a risky investment for them. Yeah, it's a super yeah, it's risky a investment. I like it. You know, yeah. but then you also look at it and say, what does the fan base really want? Because soccer in Atlanta hadn't worked for 30 years. And all of a sudden, Atlanta United is selling off 60,000-seat Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I, I would give them three years also, though, because Orlando is doing the same thing. And Orlando just... Sorry, I know you're an Orlando fan, but Orlando's just sucked since they've came into play. And now their attendance... They're still doing great numbers in comparison to the rest of the MLS. But kind of when they came in, it was like, oh, my God, uh, soccer frenzy. The same thing's going to happen here. When MLS Miami ever gets on the ground, season tickets are going to sell out in a matter of days. I think it's going to happen quicker than that. (laughs) It's going to be the first four games and then... Season tickets are going to sell out in a matter of days. And then it's going to be impossible to get into a match. And that honeymoon stage is going to last the same two or three years. But look at Seattle. Seattle was a team that won their first MLS Cup. Maybe not always got in the MLS playoffs. However, they were always fitting CenturyLink, 40,000 strong. Yeah. 
You know, same thing with the Portland Timbers. You could debate and look at LA Galaxy. Granted, their attendance hasn't been great throughout the years, but even in the years of the LA Galaxy haven't been fantastic. They're still putting in 15, 12,000 people. Could they have done the same in the NASL? Could they do the same in the USL or the NPSL? No, because I think, you know, for lack of better words and, and not to, inf- you know, infuriate people left and right, but could... Do American do do American sports fans want to support something that's not considered major league based off the definition of how we know U.S. sports? And the answer is I don't think they do. Yeah. Part, part of the other thing with this uh, this Camiso uh, money infusion was that um, one of the issues he brought up to where this seems like his end game was NASL 3.0 was that I think there was a stipulation where you could have an owner with multiple teams, which was, I think, not allowed in... Which was not, which was not allowed in NASL. Right. Um, although I think Traffic at one point owned uh, the Strikers and North Carolina. Yes. But uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not sure. But basically what he was saying is that... And I think this was the original plan when the NASL got all those LOIs, whereas I think him and maybe Silva are going to float lower teams, bring them up, give them the funding, uh, give them the funding, kind of bring them up. And then I think he had, but he had a plan set where it's like, okay, then like the smaller owners can buy back the shares or whatever. Right. Which is an interesting concept, but this is also something that as NASL fans, we expected to maybe happen at the end of last year. And now is just being put on paper in kind of a weirder format. So, well, it's it's such an NASL thing to like. <laughs> you could start to see the blocks starting to be laid, yeah, and then just kick them right off from yeah. under everything. You could see, okay, you're going to start having actual West Coast teams. You're going to start yeah. having, and then nope, never like, mind. We're going to pull out. Yes. Maybe they don't have the funds with it, but maybe some of the other owners will throw them some extra cash to like bring Precisely. them up so we can meet the standards and. Yes. So, um, good kick on that. Yeah, no, um, right into the camera. Yes, so it's a 3D podcast. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's hard to see why MLS and U.S. soccer would really take any of these deals. I mean, uh, in, a, yeah, in, no. in, a, in a world without all the BS that we know about with this issue, sure, it's, 200, it's $500 million. Um, but they they seem to have drawn their line in the sand, and I I don't think they plan on budging. Well, here's the thing. I, I think one thing that we don't. I'm gonna pass this off really quick so I can get, keep on talking. Hey, look at that! And hey, 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 while you're up, can so, you get me a beer? Well, I, you got so it. I I think what happens here is in a world where in a world where if the United States loses the World Cup bid, I think now. You have to reevaluate everything again. Oh yeah, because yeah. I think much and that's why so much more pressure is right. on this. Yeah. I think so much like how the U.S. national team didn't qualify for a World Cup, and all of a sudden you started seeing all eyes on deck again about what the hell is going on with the system. I think there's a good chance where, and I think maybe Matt agrees with me. If for some reason the U.S. loses the World Cup bid to Morocco, I start. I think you start seeing now a whole other set of eyes come into the equation and say to yourself, "Why is this going on?" You know, I just it doesn't make sense to me how the U.S. could lose a World Cup bid. Oh, hang on, let's start looking at everything as a whole again and figuring out why we may have lost that bid. Yeah, it it all, it all kind of gets put under the microscope, and I think that comes back to the the money that was infused after the last Copa America, right? Because Copa America ended, USA didn't have a great run, but at the same time, 
It was like, okay, we have this tournament that we're normally not a part of. We got invited to it. Everything's everything's great in our world, you know? And then once this World Cup thing happened, it's, oh my gosh, the world is on fire. Burn it down. Mm, Everything yeah. is fucked. <laughs> Where, what did we do? We're doomed! Yeah. We're doomed. What, uh, just not to get too much into this financial stuff, but one of the other things that was, like, interesting about the original, like, Silva offer, where it was, I think, $5 billion for all the MLS stuff, is, uh, I, I think I saw it somewhere online where somebody basically pointed out that if you took the current franchise fee of all the MLS teams mm-hmm. currently in the MLS, it, like, right was under or equaled $5 billion, so it's like, oh, like, you're literally just saying, like, let me buy this league at cost. Yeah. If you yeah. evaluate, obviously a lot of those teams are well worth less than what the franchise fee is now, but... Yeah. On, on paper, like, $5 billion, you know, shit. You're like, oh my and, and, god, $5 million. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you look at uh, how how many teams are in that league? 26? 25? Currently playing 25. or including Currently expansion playing, teams? Well, 24? In MLS? Yeah. 20, no, because it's, it, no, it's like 22, isn't it? Cause 20, no, I think LAFC was 23. Okay, yeah. 23. Yes, you're right. They're 23. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. in Nashville, it's supposed to be 24. Yeah. Miami's supposed to be yeah. 25. So here's... Blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, as we talked about, especially during the whole, you know, pro-rel argument, it's not... I think what Silk was trying to do more than anything else is shatter the central controlled contract system. Yeah. And then basically and make, it, make yes. it a free market just like the rest of the yeah, world. And that's precisely. what it is. Because if you, if you crack... The fact that MLS, if you can break free the contracts from a central body like MLS, all of a sudden now players are going free market. They're going to go to wherever they get paid more. So guess what? If it's Division Two or Division Three, but you got an owner like Ricardo Silva, you know, willing to pay Giovinco ten million dollars to play in Division Two, you don't think he takes it? Of course right. he takes it. Yeah, yeah of course. Right. Well, then the the CPL is like knocking on the way too because they're already I think they just started to announce some of the cities they're going to have and uh, yeah it's it's uh, there's like eight or nine teams and they might they may or may not gonna, take some USL they're gonna, teams they're going to steal Vancouver they're going to steal Ottawa yeah. they're more than likely going to yes. end up stealing I think Edmonton. Ottawa's been announced I think right. Ottawa's been yeah. announced so Edmonton's going to go as well yes uh, and then I think Montreal goes too I think the only one that yeah. stays is the MLS baby which is Toronto, Toronto. Right. And, right. and even that uh, like Montreal maybe like five years it takes to get Montreal but if or three, you know, it just, right. just depends on the if it comes out like a rolling success. Listen, you know, and, and I don't know if they can actually take the teams because it's MLS, so they might be like, "Hey, we own Montreal Impact, so they might have to be yeah. the Montreal freaking bounty men or something." But listen, if Montreal all those spells, we just yeah. we, listen, we just moved to Vancouver. We 20, all go to British Columbia. Thunder. Yeah, yeah, we all go to British Columbia. Call it <laughs> Vancouver City Soccer, and we start over. <laughs> so, like a reverse Grizzlies. Yes, yeah. there you yes. Go. Okay, love it. So, or just um, move to Cincinnati because because yeah, everyone else yeah. is. <laughs> we miss you, Mike. Um, so uh, let, let's wrap up that discussion because I'm certain there will be plenty of more opportunities to discuss that in the next couple of weeks and months and years and decades and centuries and millennia. Yeah, you guys um, got us talking on this one. Yes, uh, we actually have a phone-in guest that we're going to try to connect with, and it, it's an interesting one who doesn't have a, a local connection. On the face of it, but he is coming into town on Sunday to talk about his very interesting book on a very interesting topic, The Away Game, The Epic Search for Soccer's Next Superstars. So we're going to be contacting uh, Sebastian Abbott, who's the author, uh, and we want to be able to talk to him about basically what he's written and what he's looking forward to on Sunday. So let's see if we can get him on the line. Where is he, he doing the book thing, or will we find uh, out? That's a great idea. He, he's actually going to be at Books and Books of course. in Coral Gables, that's, which is kind of the home spot. of yeah. books events. And 
Uh, yes, Sebastian, this is Matthew Bunch from Magic City Soccer. How are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Okay, so first off, you're being recorded. You're okay with that, right? Yeah, so that'd be problematic if you weren't. Um, so let's um, talk about your book. We kind of did a little bit of lead-in before uh, we got you on the phone here. Um, but first off, this has to be the only book that's able to feature on its website uh, reviews from The Economist and Sports Illustrated at the same time. Um, I, I think yeah. that's, a, <laughs> that's a pretty interesting characteristic. Um, can you tell me about what, what – tell, tell our listeners a little bit about the project and kind of what drew you to it. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, the, the book is about the largest talent search in soccer history, uh, which has been carried out over the last uh, uh, decade by the fabulously wealthy desert kingdom of Qatar. Um, they've held tryouts for over 5 million boys, mostly in Africa, looking for soccer's next superstars. Um, uh, every year they've uh, chosen a handful of kids and trained them to become professionals at a uh, billion-dollar sports academy in Qatar. Um, the whole project was led by uh, the Spanish scout who helped launch Lionel Messi's career at, at Barcelona and was over a thousand times more selective than getting into Harvard. So it's just an amazing story, and I, I, I've been drawn to it. Um, you know, actually from the very beginning in 2007 when it first started, I was living and working in Cairo as a foreign correspondent for the Associated Press and, and sort of stumbled upon the story, wrote an article about it at the time, and then eight years later um, wondered if anybody had ever written a book about it. Nobody had, so kind of launched on a four-year odyssey, took me across West Africa, Qatar, Belgium, and, uh, and wrote a book, and it's been a great experience. So the, the way that the, the book is structured is that it tells this story kind of in, in, in a newsy way for a bit, but it really focuses more on the individuals. I, I, I encourage everyone to go to your website, uh, SebastianAbbott.com. The, the story, it, it focuses on the, the news of all this and, and what's interesting about this, but it also focuses on the individual players, some of them who, who have been selected and have gone through this process. What was it like to get to know those young men who are, who are going through this kind of, as you said, this selection process that's harder than getting into Harvard? Yeah, as you mentioned, I, I largely focus on three African boys who were found 10 years ago, um, two from Senegal, one from Ghana, and, and tell the story. Um, through their experience, you know, I talk about uh, where they grew up, where they learned how to play soccer, where they were first spotted by Qatar scouts, um, and the experience of, you know, being transported from, you know, their home to, to Doha, a world that sort of was so radically different than, than where they came from that it was hard for them to believe, and then for some of them on to, to Europe and, and to the biggest clubs in the world. And so, you know, for me, it was it was fascinating to get to know these kids, and and spend time with them, you know, when you, you spend time in West Africa like it did for the, the book, you sort of realize that, you know, these kids are very indicative of, of the millions of kids in, in Africa that grow up dreaming about becoming stars in, in Europe. You know, they they spend their lives, you know, their childhoods, you know, playing on dirt fields, um, kind of idolizing players like Messi and Ronaldo. So, you know, for them, for some of them to actually, you know, kind of achieve that and get to Europe, it's just an amazing experience for them. Hey, Sebastian, this is Omar from Magic City Soccer. Uh, actually, being of somebody of Lebanese descent, I'm well well, well versed within the Asian uh, Federation and, and the countries that participate in it. How would you compare the Qatari search with the way the Emirates searched uh, for players and you know building up their own federation? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it was just that, you know, there's plenty of, um, of countries that have looked to naturalize foreign players. Um, and, you know, but nobody's ever done a search uh, of this scale. Again, you know, Qatar held tryouts for over 5 million boys over the course of 10 years. And, and I mean, I not only think that's the, the, the largest talent search in soccer history, I think it's the largest talent search probably in the history of all sports. And, and although Qatar sort of said from the beginning, well, you know, these players are just meant to train with our local countries and kind of raise the level um, and, and won't necessarily play for their national team, I think at the beginning that was very much their idea. I mean, Qatar has a long history, again, like other small countries in the Gulf, of, of using its wealth to, to naturalize foreign athletes. I mean, they've done it with Kenyan sprinters, Bulgarian weightlifters, Chinese chess grandmasters, and so, um, you know, that that was very much in line with, with what other countries have done, but again, nobody's ever done it at this scale. So I'm curious, I, I, you know, I think from our perspective, from the soccer perspective, every person kind of views the sport through their own prism and through their own experience as a fan, uh, you know, as a player, whatever it may be. I, I'm a fan of Liverpool and kind of seeing the intersection of African players of players of Arabian descent and with my team this year and kind of seeing what I think is a, a, a kind of a real renaissance of African players after kind of the, the first wave in the 80s and the, 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 the second major wave like towards the turn of the millennium and, and now kind of coming into this era where, you know, you have uh, uh, Mohamed Salah being discussed in the Ballon d'Or uh, discussion. Uh, how do you think that, all of those factors, how do you think that benefits Qatar? And how do you think that benefits uh, the continent of Africa in terms of their role in the soccer world? Yeah, I mean, I think as you, you've said, I mean, we've seen, you know, an increasing number of, of players from Africa in, in top leagues like the Premier League. I think in the Premier League now about 10% of the players come from Africa. Um, and, and now some of the biggest stars uh, are, are increasingly coming from Africa. You mentioned Mohamed Salah, also Sadio Mane, um, and, and plenty of others. And I think we'll continue to see more and more of that. I mean, Africa has, has long had, you know, the raw talent. You know, there's a billion people on the continent. Uh, it's by far the most popular sport on the continent. And so, again, you have these millions and millions of kids who grow up playing soccer, you know, as much as they can. Uh, but what they've lacked kind of historically is the type of academy infrastructure that you have uh, in Europe. And so um, it's been harder for, you know, a large number of the kids who, who might have the talent to sort of get the training opportunities that their, you know, peers in Europe might have. You know, you're starting to see a bit more of that, uh, especially in West Africa with some of the academies like Right to Dream, um, the Ambar, uh, Generation Foot, where Sadia Mane came from. And so I think as you increasingly see those kinds of academies spring up, you, you see more resources put towards that kind of youth development in Africa. I think you'll see even more top players uh, in Europe coming from Africa. Again, with Sebastian Abbott, the author of the new book, The Away Game, located uh, wherever books are sold near you. Sebastian, how how fair is it to expect any kind of results uh, from the Qatari national team in the 2022 World Cup? Well, I think, you know, obviously Qatar didn't qualify for, for um, the 2018 World Cup in Russia. And so, you know, they're going to debut at their own World Cup, which is something... Uh, that's never happened before. Um, and, 
you know, it'll be interesting to see the makeup of their team then. You know, their, their team currently has plenty of, of African and South American players on it. Uh, none of the players from the program I write about have actually been naturalized and played for Cutter's national team. And I think that that's sort of uh, the product of two different factors. One is, yeah, at the beginning of the program, they got a lot of blowback, um, especially from Afri- people in Africa, you know, who kind of viewed this talent search as in a way kind of a, a form of neo-colonialism of you know a rich country coming to Africa and sort of exploiting uh, the natural resources of a bunch of much poorer countries and so there was a lot of criticism about that and so Qatar kind of backed off and said well you know we're not necessarily going to naturalize these players and then FIFA you know made it more difficult to naturalize young players they tightened the rules uh, and so I don't know that you'll necessarily see uh, players from the football dreams program I'd write about um, on Qatar's national team in 2022, but I'm sure you will see plenty of players uh, from Africa and South America who've been naturalized. Interesting. So, uh, again, the book is The Away Game, The Epic Search for Soccer's Next Superstars. Uh, Sebastian, you have an event coming up down here in Dade County. You'll be flying uh, south uh, over the weekend, and it's kind of a, a unique kind of fun event for Books and Books. Books and Books, of course, is the home of pretty much any book-related event in uh, Miami-Dade County. Uh, can you tell us about what you have planned for Sunday? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so the, the Barcelona-Real Madrid game is, is Sunday at, uh, at 2.45, and so I'm going to do a talk at 1.30 at, at Books and Books in Coral Gables, um, and then afterwards uh, the bookstore is actually going to show the the Barcelona-Real Madrid game, um, and then I'll provide some commentary at halftime. So I think it's going to be a really fun event. You know, I mean, folks who come will get to learn about, you know, this epic worldwide search for the next Messi, and then they'll get to watch the real one in action um, (laughs) as he takes on Real Madrid. So I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a fun event, and I encourage people to come. We've been uh, we've been talking about Miami Soccer Week. There's a lot of soccer going on down here in Miami-Dade County the next week because of the start of the U.S. Open Cup. I think this is a great uh, pre-game show. I think it's a great way to get um, get excited for all the soccer down here uh, domestically uh, by taking a look around the world, not only to the big clubs of Barcelona and Real Madrid, but also to the continent of Africa and where maybe the next superstar will come from. Uh, Sebastian Abbott, again, the author of The Away Game, Check out his website, Sebastian Abbott. That's Abbott with one T dot com. Um, Sebastian, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with uh, the continued uh, selling of the book, and, and welcome to Miami-Dade County. Thanks very much. I definitely look forward to the trip, and, and I definitely encourage listeners to check out the book. It was uh, an amazing experience to research and write it. Uh, it's, a, it's a really fascinating story, and so I hope, uh, I hope they enjoy it. Uh, I bet they will. I bet they will. I'm looking forward to, to getting through the whole thing myself. Uh, Sebastian, thank you again. You have a good night now, sir. Thank you, too. Uh, Sebastian Abbott there uh, with his discussion of the book. I, I think I've got something to uh, to read over the summer break. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Some good beach reading for a soccer fan. So, so books and books then. And <laughs> books and books on Sunday. Yes. Then, books and books then we're going to do Red Force FC Canada. At 3.30. And then we're going to do Open Cup match. At 7. Yes. Yeah, so get your get your calendar in order. There's so much going on down here for my... socks up, get ready for it. Yes, have a hearty breakfast Sunday, get a good night's sleep Saturday night. Kiss your wife goodbye. (laughs) Because it's going to be a sprint. Um, Gentlemen, I think it's time for us to wrap up our 50th episode. I believe it's 50 episodes. How the hell did we get here? It's been two years and we're doing 50 episodes. What? 
Yeah, it's, and, we, and we take a pretty decent off season. Yes, yeah. We, we take, <laughs> when we decide to to rest up, we certainly do rest up. Um, but yeah, we're we're back and and better than we've been, and not as good as we've been some other times. I would say. Although no, I think today was good. I, I still think back to episode twenty. Someone mentioned who, uh, earlier. What's been your favorite episode? I can tell you my least favorite episode. That was episode twenty. That was the one that we all hated when it was done. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, oh my god, what did we do? Well, I think that was my favorite one when it was done. Well, no, we cut they, each other off yes, continuously. It's, it's sneaky. The best episode. But man, it was, I can't Train imagine. Back. If you listen to that episode, you're still listening today. Because if you're stuck with us through that one, you've got to be with us through what has to be better. Because anything would be better. Um, so yeah, let's let's wrap it up. Um, Liverpool still sucks. Someone jumps in. Liverpool still sucks. That's perfectly fine. Agreed. I'll be happy being the suckiest team to ever win the European Cup. I can live with that, Jovo. I will, I will do the, uh, if you guys aren't playing the U.S. Open Cup, Pick them on Reddit, please do so. Uh, yes. My buddy, my buddy Will's throwing that on. Uh, we also got them a uh, premium account at Groundhopper. So if you guys don't feel like you can ask us a decent enough question for us to put on air, uh, we haven't announced our contest yet, but uh, they'll be giving that away for the winner. I joined this year. I'm bringing my talents to uh, our MPSL. I believe I'm the only player thus far. Uh, I, guess, I guess make that two for our MPSL because wherever Drew goes, I guess I'm gonna follow. <laughs> oh well, we were like top top, top players last top year, top twenty five, yeah, top twenty five. And that's right, Pendleton. Yeah, huh? <laughs> that's I'm right. Fat Deuce. That's right. That's, that's right. You were on the Bay second page. Calling you out. Second page. Take um, your talents to USL. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> um, so join that up. Uh, you can play for any forum, but uh, probably the easiest way if you're a Miami FC fan is just to play for our NPSL, and then uh, we can kind of start our own trash talking thread. But uh, the cutoff for the first round, I believe, is Sunday, Sunday May at six. Yeah, at, at and you've got to pick all the round one games, including the playing games. So guys. Again, go to the Reddit U.S. Open Cup Pick'em. I believe it's stylized USOC Pick'em. We'll put a link out on our Twitter account so that we can have that out for you. Makes your life a lot easier. It's fun. Especially it's a lot of fun. Especially when you know when or if your team gets knocked out, it gives you a little kind of extra encouragement to watch a tournament. Absolutely, yes. and it's probably the greatest tournament in American sports. So yeah. it that's is a bit of an exaggeration, but I'll go with it. <laughs> You'll live with it. <laughs> uh, WJ it Morris three there in the chat. If you're watching on, he just posted the link. So go back into the chat. Uh, and he actually, actually runs just... it, and I'm sorry because he probably listened to this whole thing waiting for me to drop that, so I appreciate you <laughs> listening, listening to, the whole to thing. all our shenanigans just for that part. We'll but... be sure to mention that on our Twitter feed so that uh, m- many more eyes can get Should we just start an R some Magic City Soccer and just run it for ourselves and see? <laughs> I mean, should we just do that? Should we just so play wait, under that bandana? Are you suggesting we leave the current structure of competition and create our own league? Oh, shocker. No, no, no. no. <laughs> no so no, Miami, no. wouldn't it? I don't, I don't have the... Robert Palmer, give us a call. We have some ideas. Yeah, division zero. Pick them zero. <laughs> All right, we're, we're done. Wrap it up. We no, are officially done. No, we're just joking. Yes. So, um, he's Drew Hausman. Drew, good talking to you, pal. We yes, don't yes. actually have to do this because we're just sitting next yeah, to each other. Good like, talking to you. I, I'm, I'm immediately leaving your house. Yes, I know. He's, yeah, he's, he's literally got the yeah. door is open and one foot is outside of it. <laughs> so he's been Drew Hausman. He's been Omar Mubayed. I've been Matthew Bunch. This has been a live edition of Magic City Soccer. And so until next time, uh, go Miami FC, go FC Miami City, go Miami United, go Red Force. Uh, FC Kendall in the house. FC Kendall. In- uh, let's go all those teams, all of them that get a good result, and go Miami soccer. Made in Miami.